You are listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. So welcome everybody to the CCB GTT national call. Today is Wednesday, October 13th, uh, 2021. And we have Ned Desmond with us from SiteTech Global. So Ned is the founder and executive producer of Site Tech Global, an annual event that brings together top experts in AI, artificial intelligence, other areas of technology who are working on accessibility and assistive technology. And he's also a senior operating partner at the venture firm CSOSV, sorry. And formerly he was the chief operating officer at the media company TechCrunch for eight years. So a lot of us read TechCrunch articles. There's a lot of articles about a lot of tech. So welcome, Ned. Thank you for coming to Canada virtually uh, and um, looking forward to hearing more about uh, Site Tech Global. I'm delighted to be on the call. Thank you very much for asking me to join. Um, it's perfect because I've been working on Site Tech Global all afternoon. It's hard to believe it's only about six weeks away, uh, December 1st and 2nd, and we're working on another uh, amazing round of programming. Um, this topic area of technology and AI and accessibility and assistive tech, uh, as most people know, is moving ahead very, very quickly. And there are just endlessly interesting topics to discuss in connection with all that's happening. Um, it's not, you know, some of it's good, some of it's not so good, um, but the conversation is definitely very, very worthwhile. So I'm honored and pleased to be in a position to generate this programming and work with a lot of smart people to, to appear at the show uh, and also to uh, speak to the folks who uh, enjoy listening to what we produce. So I don't know if there are questions or, or what might uh, be most interesting to the group, but I'm open to suggestions. Hi, Ned. Thanks for joining us. I'm wondering if you're in a position yet where you can share a skeleton or outline of the program that's going to be offered, perhaps uh, topics or companies that are going to be involved? Yes, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So um, the agenda is probably about 75% complete, and I can tell you about some of the sessions. Um, we're going to have Saqib Sheikh, who is the um, main person behind Microsoft's Seeing AI app, uh, back on board for an interview, and it's going to focus on how he's using uh, audio AR, so augmented reality with audio, uh, in some of the navigation work that he's doing uh, as part of seeing AI. So that's a fascinating new topic. The inclusion of LiDAR technology in the Apple iPhone has made audio AR um, a lot more feasible. Uh, and so that's uh, a new frontier really, and has a lot of interesting application in a variety of ways. Uh, especially for indoor navigation, because it's much easier for the phone to tell uh, where it is in relation to objects in a room, for example. So that's one exciting session. Um, another one is going to be a Google session. We have Eve Anderson and uh, Andrena Reyes, uh, who is in charge of the um, uh, Lookout app on, on Google, and they'll be telling us about uh, how that's evolving and uh, its relationship to the Pixel phone and uh, how they view a lot of the emerging topics on the technology and experience side uh, for that app uh, from Google's perspective. Of course, Google is a massively big player uh, because it owns 
what I think is correct to say is the largest uh, computer vision database that, that's available to people who are building apps and, and using mobile phones uh, to um, uh, create new experiences. Uh, another really interesting session, um, uh, and I can only give you a little peek into it, but it's absolutely fascinating, uh, is coming from a group of developers who've been uh, supported by Facebook uh, and led by Matt King at Facebook, but it's very deeply woven into um, the uh, accessibility community. And that's an effort to finally make screen readers interoperable. Uh, because in years gone by, uh, that's been something that's held back web accessibility. So develop, there are many factors, of course, that hold back web accessibility. And one of them is uh, certainly the lack of cooperation on the part of businesses that own websites. But another one has been the, uh, the fact that developers have to code for each screen reader independently. Um, and that's a, a big burden. Uh, and it's not one that exists any longer for uh, developers when they think about browsers, because all of that has been worked out in the world of visual browsers, Safari and Chrome and so forth. Uh, and developers can pretty easily develop once and be confident that it will work on all, all of the um, browsers. Um, but that's not true with screen readers. But uh, this group has a great plan and as well into the plan. And this is the first time in public where they'll really spell it all out, how it's going to work and uh, what the impact will be. So I'm very excited about that. Um, let's see who else we have on deck. Oh, uh, Jeffrey Bigham is going to be speaking. Uh, he's a professor at uh, Carnegie Mellon and uh, supported by Apple and does a lot of the really cutting edge work in AI and machine learning for Apple in connection with accessibility. So he's, it's gonna be very interesting to have him. Um, let's see, who else do we have? Uh, oh, and we're gonna have a great panel on indoor navigation, because as I mentioned earlier, that's a, a rich topic area these days because of advances in AR and, and the LiDAR sensors on the iPhone 12 and, and the new and the 13. And we have uh, Mike May from Good Maps, who's a real um, veteran of this sector. And we have a professor from Olin named Paul Ruvalo. Um, and uh, let me see. Oh, and Roberto Manducci from UC Santa Cruz, who does a lot of research in this area. And it's it's going to be moderated by uh, Nick um, Giudice from the University of Maine. So I really look forward to that conversation because I've, I've already heard previews of it. I've had them on the phone talking about this. And it's interesting to hear how excited they are about the advances that are now possible um, in uh, processors that can handle multiple data streams and the enrichment that LIDAR represents, the LIDAR data uh, for figuring out indoor navigation. Um, problems and challenges. You know, it's never been, I know, from the standpoint of uh, people who need that uh, as what it, what it could be or what it should be. So I think they feel that we're going to take a pretty significant step forward in that area soon. So those are some of the highlights. There are a number of other things in development, but um, that's a pretty good start. It sounds really exciting, and I thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So should I get into the origin story a little bit? Yeah, I would love to know that because it was such a unique conference, like something totally different than any of the blindness, you know, tech related 
um, conferences I've ever been to before. So I'm really curious about how you got involved and how you started it, really. All righty. Well, I'm happy to tell a story. It's kind of a, uh, it's a fun story, actually. So when I was at TechCrunch, which is a media company focused on tech and startups and venture capital, um, a big part of our business was staging events, in-person events. Um, and some of them are huge, 10,000 people, and they cover every topic imaginable. And some of them are very, very focused. Um, and in the last three or four years that I was there, we did a series that were focused on robotics and AI, artificial intelligence, uh, which were really interesting to me. And they were so cutting edge that we produced them, we co-produced them with Berkeley and MIT. And their academic departments were involved and we had a lot of researchers and we had these incredibly rich conversations about what AI can do and can't do and its influence on traditional robotics. Um, and of course, I'm not a technologist, but I'm, I'm you know, a good listener. And I, I, I was really captivated by these conversations and, and uh, some of it was over my head, but I built up a really great Rolodex of, of um, actually all of it was over my head, but I could basically understand the implications of what people were talking about. And I built up a great Rolodex of experts and so forth and so on. And then last year, um, uh, it happens that my wife is has low vision. She has retinitis pigmentosa. She's just got a little shred of vision left. And um, uh, she is on the board of a local organization called the Vista Center for the blind and visually impaired. And she uh, is also a client there. And they've been an enormous help to her. And they've been working in this community in Silicon Valley for 75 years on a really beloved organization. And a lot of great community fundraising has gone into uh, making them sustainable over the years. But the, the arrival of COVID, of course, shut down a lot of their fundraising and they had to put some of their staff on leave and it was very difficult and they had a hard time keeping up with their uh, client needs. So um, I just happened to be uh, leaving TechCrunch at the time. So I was between jobs and um, intentionally, uh, I, I knew what I would be doing this year, but I said to the director of Vista, well, why don't we um, try a new style of event and, uh, and see if we can't build an event around accessibility from a super high tech angle where we bring in these AI experts that I know to talk about uh, how they think through the equations related to people who need assistive tech or need accessibility uh, built into what they do. And, and, and what is the technology? How do the product thinkers uh, develop the technology and apply the technology? And, and, and how do they stay in touch with the community that needs the technology so that they're thinking about it the right way? Uh, all very, very rich topics. Um, and she said, great, you know, we need all the help we can get. So uh, I brought in a friend of mine who is a uh, <clears throat> really talented designer because any launch of something like this requires a great designer to help out. And uh, we decided to call it Site Tech Global, which was uh, in hindsight may not have been the best name because I didn't realize that some people in the community uh, are a little bit ruffled by the idea of calling it psych tech instead of blind tech. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess hindsight is 2020. And um, uh, we went ahead and, and built a website and started building out programming, just like I would have built out programming for a big tech crunch event. And I spent many, many hours interviewing people um, who are at the heart of this work and asking them who I should talk to and um, what 
areas they found interesting and who they most would like to hear from. Um, so I kind of triangulated my way through a big community of people uh, and made a bunch of invitations. And I, I knew that I wanted to have Amazon involved and Apple involved and Google involved and uh, Microsoft involved, of course. Um, so I worked uh, really hard with the, um, uh, the public relations people there. And I was, I was fortunate because I know all these people from my work at TechCrunch and they know me pretty well. So they answered my emails. I had some credibility as a person who could build an event like this and they were willing to put their best people on the stage. And over the course of six months or so, um, you know, we, and, and dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations, uh, I put together uh, what turned out to be a pretty good programming lineup. And also uh, at the same time, uh, we wanted to make the event free because I didn't really see any point in making it anything less than global. And, you know, not everybody can afford even 10 bucks in some parts of the world. So we just decided to level the playing field, make it free for everybody, and then go back to the big tech companies and anyone else uh, that we could uh, 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 interest and say, hey, you know, you should sponsor this because it's, it's good for your brand uh, to be associated with something like this. The money goes directly to a nonprofit organization, which is the Vista Center, which owns the whole thing. And um, uh, it also is a great showcase uh, for your employees and, and your people working on these areas that they might not get otherwise. Uh, because although there are a good many accessibility events around, and, and many of them are, of course, very, very good, uh, as I think a couple of you have pointed out, our focus was very specific, very tech-oriented, and um, very much about that, as opposed to corporate accessibility and policy and other things, which tend to be the, um, the main focus of a lot of other accessibility-related events. So we were, we, after the programming was done, I went around and worked, out, worked those same equations with a lot of different companies to get support, and, and we had a pretty good outcome. Uh, we didn't raise a small fortune or anything, but we raised enough money uh, to help the operating budget at Vista Center quite a bit. And uh, also, uh, you know, with a very high efficiency. So our, our total cost in the project last year was, was $20,000 and $15,000 of that was the development of the website and the media and, and, and other uh, complicated things uh, that cost a little bit of money, but won't cost us anything now because it's all reusable. And of course we're using it again this year. Um, I would say the one one big uh, sort of uh, additional element that's very worthwhile in the story is I got quite an education in many areas, but especially when it comes to web accessibility, is I, I deferred figuring out the question of where to have this virtual event. And I started researching all of the platforms that are used for virtual events like Hopin and others and realized that they were a real problem. Um, the accessibility was, if it was present, was not well designed. And then I attended some corporate accessibility events, I won't name names, uh, and they were appalling. I mean, I could barely use them, so I couldn't imagine how others would, would use them. So I got together with my designer friend and we decided uh, working with some uh, friends of ours who are blind and, and but very technical and know a lot about the web to design an experience that would be really straightforward. And so there would be no barrier to participating and enjoying the show. Um, and then 
once we built it, we asked, uh, we gave the opportunity for everybody who had registered at the show to come to two practice sessions so that they could familiarize themselves with how it worked and also make suggestions to us. And we had our, our friends who are uh, the blind developers uh, present in those sessions so that they could help us understand the feedback we were getting. And so that final stage of refinement uh, was very worthwhile. And uh, the uh, experience that we, we presented to people, which involved a main broadcast, you might say, of the programming, main stage programming, plus breakouts that were arranged in Zoom, plus a user feedback channel, uh, which we built in a technology I forget, but was we had been told was, was great from the standpoint of uh, people using screen readers. And uh, it went pretty well when we did a survey after the show and we asked the people who use screen readers to enjoy the show if they thought our accessibility was good. And they gave us a score of 4.6 out of five, which I was really delighted by. So, so that's, that's the story. <laughs> So are you using a similar platform again this year, Ned? A similar way of doing it for uh, yes, getting gonna, in and out? We're going to do it pretty much exactly the same way. Um, the only thing we've done differently this year is we have um, created a, our own uh, registration system uh, because last year we were using, a, a, again, a platform that, that was uh, embarrassingly bad, uh, Eventbrite and very frustrating for people. So uh, we've, we're just using a, a, a system called Typeform where the accessibility is quite good. And uh, that's the only major change we've made. I was really amazed last year by the self-driving car discussion about, um, you know, how blind people, not just how we could drive, but how we could, you know, find our car in a parking lot or get from the car to the store or, you know, things within the car, like could we drive the car, but could we also control the heat or the, you know, the, the other things within the car? Just just really interesting panels where people would really explore all aspects of something. So I imagine the indoor navigation, it might be similar, similar discussion this year. But but some of that really was um, miraculous to me to think through all kinds of little details of something. And that was one thing I just really loved it. I just mentioned the self-driving car because that was interesting to me, but there were lots of panels like that where you would talk about something and, and there were all kinds of different little opinions that you might not have thought of before. You might not have even known to think of that. So um, that was something I know that I found really refreshing and unique that there were lots of opinions expressed on on various panels. Yeah. Um, That's what yeah. I liked about the show the most too, is, is you know, the success of anything that you build uh, requires so much intricate thought and, and so much connection to the people who are actually going to use what you build. And we really wanted to get those people into conversation, you know, because as you said, it's fascinating when you hear them going through uh, a product and, 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 and talking about the feedback that they've received. Uh, one, one funny example of that, which actually was the inspiration for um, the, the session you're referring to, which involved a, a representative from Waymo. Waymo is the spin out of Google that's developing autonomous taxis. And of course, uh, the idea that uh, a blind person could open an app on their phone and summon a, a taxi and it would come find them and, and they would have a relatively easy time onboarding 
and directing the taxi to their next destination. I mean, that would certainly be a dream come true. And uh, a couple of years ago, I went on a test drive in a Waymo autonomous vehicle with my wife and uh, some Waymo engineers and, and another friend of mine who works at Waymo. And uh, they were very delighted because they, they thought of my wife as kind of a special guest. And so we got in the back of this van that was equipped with all of these sensors and everything else. And we were uh, driving around, we, we sat down and uh, the engineers were very excited. And they said, well, turn on the, on the ride. And she said, well, how do I do that? And they said, well, press the button. And she said, well, I'm blind. <laughs> and then they all looked very embarrassed and they said, yeah, we've got a long way to go with accessibility here. Let, <laughs> we'll show you where the button is. But, um, you know, that was not a real product. It was something that was a very early prototype. Uh, but it's a very simple example of, of you know, the, that's a simple example, but there are much more complex examples of things that need to be figured out in the user experience of um, the connection between uh, an autonomous vehicle, in this case, and a person, uh, presumably with a cane, who, who needs to connect with that vehicle one way or another. Thank you for listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. There are many ways to get in touch with us. You can call us toll-free at 1-877-304-0968. You can follow our GTT blog at gttprogram.blog. If you'd like to subscribe to our email support list, you can send a blank email to GTT support plus sign subscribe at groups.io. And you can follow the Canadian Council of the Blind on the web at ccbnational.com.